I'm hoping that all of us can get back to this democracy that we want and that we should be passing on our, our children so that they can do better than what we did. Michael Cohen, a.k.a. The Fixer, goes to the Hill while President Trump meets his BFF in Vietnam. We're going to deep dive on media coaching and the Navy looks to get its story straight. All this and more on this episode of Three C's in a Pod. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show, as always, are Chris Cervello and John Schofield. We thank you for joining us this week. Listen, to catch more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter, and let us know how we're doing, at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. We begin, as we always do, by taking a moment to look back in the rearview mirror and analyze what we saw in the past week. Folks, it's important to remember, we are all about dissecting how news and information is presented, how it's packaged, writ large. So at 3Cs, we're here to provide our professional critique and feedback on what's good out there and what's not. We're also gonna take some time to offer how you and your organization can be better at your messaging and be the most effective in speaking to your audience. So with that, let's go around the table with this week's rear view. Chris, we're gonna start with you. So let's look at the Michael Cohen testimony, first to the oversight committee, and then to um, the uh, House Intelligence Committee. And I really want to dive into Cohen's testimony to Elijah Cummings' committee, which is that, uh, that oversight committee. Okay. And as we were talking about before we got on the air, I mean, essentially, without getting into all the politics associated with this, uh, I mean, th- this was an argument. I mean, it's no different than any you know, basic communication argument. Uh, w- one side is uh, very clearly putting across that the incumbent is not fit to be president, whether that means he leaves early or whether it means somebody else wins in the next election. Their argument is, is that he's not fit to be president. And today was about using Michael Cohen and Michael Cohen's experience and his allocution uh, over the last, uh, over the events of the last 10 years as a way of making their point. And they use their questions to do that. On the other side, you had the Republicans who um, really, instead of making a counter argument, instead of making the argument that, hey, the guy that's in there now is fit to be president. And not only is he fit to be president now, he's fit to be president for four more years when we go to the 2020 election. Their counter to what the, the Democrats were arguing was to go after Michael Cohen and to uh, hit him on his credibility and on his behavior over the last 10 years. Yes. So I, I want to look in the rear view and did it work? Who's listening? You know, over to you guys to see what you thought. Well, let me, I was, uh, uh, John, oh. I'm sorry to step on you there. I just want to ask Chris before uh, we toss it to you. I want to ask Chris a pointed question in terms of credibility. What did you think? Did he come across as credible? Uh, yeah, I mean, for, for me, he did. I mean, uh, s- sadly, I watched a significant amount of the hearing. Um, and uh, I felt like, uh, and, and, you know, I heard the same sorts of things from the pundits, I felt like he was credible, in that his details were were straight. Um, he did, his story didn't change, he didn't seem to go further than he should have gone. Um, so I, I, I found him to be credible on what he had to say. 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure that that he made the argument for the Democrats for what they were trying to argue, sadly. Um, but I, I found him in the facts that he shared to be credible. John, over to you on that same question of message credibility. Uh, I, I don't find him credible. Um, okay. I want him to be credible. I, I, I want to believe everything he's saying, but I, I said this to you guys before we went on air. I don't think he's credible. I don't think the president's credible. I think it's all a very dirty, nasty commentary on where this administration not, not is, because we all know where the administration is. Let's look at where they came from and who represented them um, in the days and weeks and years leading up to their assumption of power, that these were guys who were in positions of, of power and credibility. And I, I think Michael Cohen is a scumbag, and a, pure and simple. But let's, let's get to the three C's here, and that is, here are the Republicans. How, how are you speaking to your base? How are you speaking to people who um, are trying to take part in this dialogue and trying to listen to this testimony? Mm-hmm. The fact that I saw boards behind elected representatives that had a picture of Michael Cohen with the words liar, liar, pants on fire on them. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Is that where we are as a society? That's where elected representatives have to be. We, I know that we all, we all present stuff. We all make these storyboards to, as part of ceremonies or as part of um, arguments to, to communicate facts. It, it, it just reminded me of fifth grade carnival court. Uh, that there, there was a poster behind members of the House of Representatives that said, liar, liar, pants on fire. This is where we're at. Now, so, that doesn't mean that he's not a liar. I think that he is a liar. He actually is a liar, and he's going to jail for being a liar. Whether he lied today about what Donald Trump did or did not do, I don't know. I just think that it's, again, this this very terrible like sinkhole of lack of truth and lack of credibility in elected officials. So, John, you mentioned uh, about the administration specifically. However, what I'd like to do is uh, we played a little bit of sound from Representative Cummings here to start the show off. And it speaks to uh, his, clo- you know, his clo- from his closing arguments today, uh, which were, were very fiery and very emphatic where he talked about the state of our democracy. So I, I feel, and I'd like your opinion on this, gentlemen, when we're looking at um, this hearing today and who specifically it was for, it's not just the administration. I mean, there are people out there. Uh, w- one thing that Representative Cummings spoke on was that we are better than this. We, the collective uh, United States of America. I'm, I'm wondering were we listening today and what are we going to do uh, about that? Because I, I, I believe in, in that particular part of his, uh, his commentary today that we are better than, than the state of things where we are right now. So whether you're seeing a sign uh, that says liar, liar, pants on fire, or some of the other, the, the individual uh, from HUD who was brought up to stand there with Representative Mark Meadows, but when you see those antics, are we better than that? And did 
did this hearing, did the, did the messaging overall of this hearing uh, get us anywhere better as a society? Well, who's it to? Who, who is viewing this at home today? There are people like us who are wonks who want to watch this stuff. But then who's actually taking part in the dialogue nowadays, the political discourse that is required, I believe, as part of citizenship? Who is actually watching this and forming an opinion and then doing something with said opinion? I don't know. Um, I, I love personally that Elijah Cummings, who is a representative from my home state, was, was front and center on the national stage and, and doing things right. I personally, you want to talk about three C's, I would have put him in a higher chair uh, so that, or at least demanded that there be a better camera angle because he, he truly looked like he was a midget sitting behind this major mahogany yeah, section of, of the House of Representatives there, uh, or at least in the hearing room. I don't know who's listening. I, I, and we go back, and we're going to talk a little bit about this later. There's a lot of fatigue out there. Who's listening? Is it the, is it the president's staff? He's in Vietnam right now. Um, is it the, the rest of America? I don't know. There's right behind this story on the NBC nightly news tonight was the fact that people spent two days on a train in Oregon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what people are more interested in. And, and that's upsetting to me. Um, so I hope that a lot of people like you and me and, and, and Chris were, were watching this and trying to form opinions and trying to understand what this meant, not only in the here and now, but in the future. Um, but I, unfortunately, I, I kind of think that, that this is going to be something that just washes away tonight. Chris? Yeah, I, I don't know who it was for. Um, I, I, I'll tell you who, if somebody asked me who it should be for, if uh, you, you know, they were asking for our advice, um, I think the 2020 election will, will be very much like the 2016 election, and I think it'll come down to a a small group of middle of the road folks on, on both sides, you know, from both parties that make a decision based on what does the other guy or gal look like? Not so much what does their candidate look like, but what does the other guy or gal look like? So I think for the Democrats today, this argument was geared at their own moderates who may be looking at a um, left-leaning potential for a left-leaning candidate and who may otherwise say hey the country I mean yeah histrionics aside the country's not in that bad a shape uh, I'll just you know give Trump another four years and you know to John's point we're kind of immune to the noise and and the fatigue and you know no big deal so I think the Democrats were trying to appeal to that segment as well as the same segment on the other side for the Republicans that are disgusted by the president but don't are afraid of what the other side may offer, especially as it moves more and more to the left. So I think that that's who, who the Democrats are arguing to. I, I don't know who the Republicans were arguing to today. Um, I, I honestly think they were arguing to the White House. I think they wanted to be seen as loyal. And I don't know that they really did a good job of reaching um, either segment of the voters that they needed to get after. 
I think that this will continue or I fear that this will continue for the next two years. As a um, popular clip uh, from a popular television show, Archie Bunker and George Jefferson stood toasted to one another and said, here's to yesterday. All right. A not so, a not so smooth segue. Uh, to our to our other topic, there is actually. I don't even know what that means. I, I I'll have I'll have to show it. To you. <laughs> I have to show it to you sometime. We we might that might get. Uh, I was so that might, that might get to do a Seinfeld quote. But no, I, I was immediately lost. I'll show you the clip that might get cut out and post edit. Listen, there's actually other news that's going on uh, as we look back in rearview here before we before we close out, and that is um, as we mentioned in, in the opening. Uh, the president is sitting down currently in the capital of Vietnam, in Hanoi, uh, with uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un uh, for their summit. So, again, 12 hours ahead, uh, sitting here in America, everybody was fixated on the Cohen testimony. But believe it or not, we've got two uh, state leaders talking about um, their nuclear programs. So, does it matter? Does it, is it OBE or what? Yeah, I don't think it matters. Um, I, I think that it's I think that it's a a very simple convening of two people who are idiots. Uh, and and again, that's a little that's a little rash. But I think that you've got this meeting of the minds. And and what should be the conversation here is that this great deal, quote unquote, that that the president arranged with Kim Jong Un months and years ago, actually a year and a half ago, uh, the compliance with this nuclear understanding, this nuclear treaty has not been met um, and, and it's being swept under the rug. I, I think that that's disconcerting. Um, but again, you've got these two major events, the president's lawyer on the Hill and the president meeting with this tyrant who, who by all accounts is one of the worst world leaders ever anywhere um and, and it's not making news i i think it's interesting i don't know if they're going to come out of this with any kind of an agreement but even if they do come out with an agreement chris do you think that that agreement is worth the paper it's printed on uh, i i'm definitely skeptical like you are um but let, let me back up for a second as an american and as somebody that served and, and all of us have served I root for the president, whoever the president is, right? So the idea that the president is um, away from the United States is meeting with one of the worst leaders. And I would say, I'd take it a step further, John, and say maybe one of the worst human beings on the planet in an attempt, whether you believe the, the rationale or not, in an attempt to hopefully make the United States safer. And it is juxtaposed to what's going on on the Hill with Michael Cohen to, uh, on Wednesday and Thursday. I mean, it's just surreal. As a communicator, you look at it and go, uh, how did they allow this to happen? They being the White House. I mean, talk about sucking the news cycle away from them. You know, you have the clumsiness of the fact that it's, you know, being done 13 hours ahead of uh, prime time in the United States. Um, so essentially while, the, the, while America sleeps, you, you know, that's when all of the, the news and, and whatnot is happening there in Hanoi. This is just, it's the weirdest yin and yang that, uh, that I can ever remember uh, from a news cycle standpoint. You know who's super happy about this is Bradley Cooper. Um, so <laughs> this is the opposite of the Brad Pitt thing in that 
I, I don't know if you guys watch the Oscars, and we'll get into this at the end. I, I told you I'm a notorious awards show hater, and I do. I hate them. And I watched the Oscars and formed all sorts of sardonic opinions and, and witticisms, things that I was going to put on Twitter, but then knew I'd have to delete. But it, here's this monumental moment during the Oscars. And I'll admit, not with hyperbole, I'll admit that that thing he did, that Bradley Cooper did with Lady Gaga during the Oscars was unbelievable. Like was a really capturing moment. And then if you looked on Twitter, the whole thing was, oh, this is going to be the big controversy. <laughs> Holy cow, this is what's going to be going on. This is what people are going to be talking about in this country for the next couple of weeks. And by the way, no one's talking about it because all of this other stuff has sucked up the bandwidth of the news cycle. And, and usually it's Hollywood that, that takes away um, the attention of the American populace or the audiences uh, to things that are political. And I think now the, the, the tables have turned a little bit. I have never wanted to see a movie less <laughs> I do. I don't want to see it. I, I'm yeah, a music yeah. fan. I thought the song was very nice. It's yeah. a very meaningful and and sweet song, and and they performed it very well. But speaking of deleted tweets, how ridiculous is Congressman Gates with his tweet uh, earlier? Oh my! God. I mean, <laughs> talk about somebody that did not listen to. Have podcast you, seven exactly have his twitter his twitter profile is all you need to know about that dude he's a mess to, to close out to close out rear view <laughs> speaking about that tweet which is now deleted but can still be found everywhere on the internet just goes back to that sound that we played at the beginning of this segment um we're better than this um and i for one hope that uh, we just move, continue to move forward. Uh, and as uh, Representative Cummings said today, we, we need to get back to our, our moral center. So folks, listen, we're going to uh, take a quick break and come back with Deep Dive. You're listening to Three Season of Pot. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. And we're back on Three Season a Pod. It's time for Deep Dive. Folks, last week we discussed the current media environment, and this week we're going to talk about how to prepare your principals to engage with media. Listen, it's no secret. Media coaching is something we have done for more than 60 years in the business and specialize in here at Provision Advisors. After all, we're a for-profit entity. Let's talk about what makes for a successful media coaching session. Gentlemen, let's begin. We've all grown up focusing on five areas. Um, one is just kind of a basic environmental discussion of, hey, wh what type of environment are you communicating in? I think it's very important that your principal understands that. Certainly. That they, they understand how they fit into the backdrop of Cohen testimony or the President Trump summit in, in Hanoi or whatever else is going on. It's important that they understand that. Uh, the other is, is sort of the practical keys to success, the three C's, if you will, the other tricks of the trade. The third part is a really strong and really 
realistic, practical exercise, bringing other people in that simulate reporters or, or what, whatever the scenario, the training scenario is, it's got to be based in, in reality and fact. Practice how uh, you play. Definitely. Exactly. Fourth is they've got to be willing to receive candid feedback. If you have a principal that just wants to be told how great they are, um, then the session is probably not worth your time or worth their time. But at the same point that you give them candid feedback, you also have to realize that you can only do so much with that feedback. So give them things that they can work on and fix and not things that they'll never be able to overcome. And then finally, you've got to repeat this, right? I mean, you know, this is media coaching and media training is about reps and sets. So mm -hmm. those are the five things that we grew up doing. And it's kind of the principles that we follow here at ProVision Advisors. John, where, where do you want to expand? Well, I'd, I'd like to expand upon the fact that you really don't know how you look or sound until you see yourself on tape do this. And, and this is one of the really prickish things that I do to people, uh, particularly in my current job where I pick up on the things that they say and do, their verbal hitches or crutches um, that, that really distract the audience. I have a guy, when I did his media training during a 90-second stand-up interview that I recorded, he said the phrase, stuff like that, 62 times. It was his catch. It was his crutch. It was his... Yeah, a lot of people say, you know, or I mean, and I hate it. I, I destroy my 13-year-old kid right now because he starts every single sentence with, well, I mean, well, of course I know you mean it because you're saying it. Getting people to understand those verbal crutches by letting them see it on video or letting them hear it on audio, that's a huge thing because you can tell them all day long these are people of power. And, and so when you sit there and say, well, your, your soundbite there was a little weak, they're going to, to your point, Chris, they're going to say, well, what do you know? You're just the lieutenant commander, just a commander. I'm a flag officer. I'm a CEO of a company. But when you show them that they say, I mean, 17 times in one minute, or they use some other really distracting crutch, that's when you are speaking truth to power. And you have to be careful there in that you don't want to embarrass them because there are a lot of people in power who have really embarrassing uh, frailties or shortcomings when it comes to talking to the media or doing a media interview. You just show it to them and you say, hey, you might want to work on cutting down the use of you know uh, at the beginning of every sentence. That's useful. That's not only useful with media it's useful in how you talk to your people face to face it's it's useful in internal communication and in external communication john chris some great points uh all i will elaborate on uh, i always go back and i think i've said this before i can't remember but i go back to my jv football coach uh coach jackson saying to us on the field the five p's proper preparation prevents poor performance each of us has spent time up at the schoolhouse, the defense information school, where we've had an opportunity to talk with students as we prepare them to go out there and actually execute as public affairs officers. If there's one thing that I want to consistently drill into them is, and Chris, you said it there, the repetition over and over and over again until you have it like clockwork, knowing 
uh, what your messages are, doing the research in the beginning to know what does your audience want to hear, and then repeating that message, driving it home, so that that's what, when people hear your voice, you can, they can see exactly, uh, see and hear uh, exactly the message that you're trying to deliver. I, I can't stress that enough. Getting in front of, uh, in front of a camera, feeling comfortable in front of a camera, uh, understanding, hey, look, is it excessive use of hands? Uh, how, to, how to look comfortable uh, in front of that camera because that audience is going to see you and make a determination within three seconds as to whether or not you are uh, believable and whether they want to, to listen to that message. That's all it takes is three seconds. Gentlemen, a great deep dive. Folks, stay with us. Uh, we're going to come back with On the Horizon. You're listening to Three Season of Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to 3Cs with Provision Advisors. All right, gentlemen, let's look out on the horizon at what next week might bring us. Chris, you're up. So again, I'm focused on the Navy. Last week, we talked about the Navy sitting down again with ProPublica. Kudos to them. They they did that. And I think it, it benefited them having a senior leader's voice in an otherwise one-sided story. But now I'm back looking on the horizon to, is the Navy going to get their act together when it comes to... Uh, telling their story in a clear and transparent way. Just this week, there was reports that the Navy is going to get rid of an aircraft carrier. That's in somewhat of opposition to this idea that they're going to grow a 355-ship fleet. There's still the lingering questions coming out of the ProPublica article. There's uh, lingering issues about, is the Navy committed to uh, growing? Do they want to stay the same? Um, very confused because I, I know there's a good story to be told. I know that there's good work happening all around the world. And I really want to see over the next week or two, I hope that they're able to get their arms around this uh, and, and begin to communicate in a more uh, coherent and coordinated way, getting out those messages that need to reach the sailors and the American people. At the same time that they're trying to be transparent through the ProPublica story, through um, you know it, it, all of the controversy of the Seventh Fleet collisions, here they are not releasing flag announcements and flag assignments. And, and that's a very administrative thing. And it usually would make really no difference in, in anyone's world. But all of a sudden, you could have done that in a very nuanced way. You could have rolled out that decision in a way with the, with the press that would make them understand that all of a sudden, you're now the subject of a story that makes you look contradictory in that, well, we're trying to be transparent you know, after, after digging our heels in on the Seventh Fleet story. But now uh, we're not even telling you who our future leaders of the Navy are going to be. Uh, they, they took a punch in the face when really they didn't have to take it. it, it's, it, it seems to me like they can't get out, get out of their own way, to use your phraseology, Chris. 
we know a lot of talented communicators and a, ta a lot of talented leaders that uh, still serve in the Navy. Um, so sometimes you, you, you just lose focus. When this happens in the operational side of the military, there are often calls for a stand down or a pause or a refocus. I guess as a uh, as an onlooker and a spectator now, I, I wonder if in the communication world there, there needs to be a, a pause or a stand down just to kind of refocus on what's important and to get their act together uh, before they lose too much time moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Great point. Great point. John, how about you? What are you looking at? Uh, well, locally to Maryland politics, I'm looking at uh, going forward, and I know this is going to be very politicized, but Delegate Marianne Lasanti. She is a 51-year-old Democrat. She's in her second term. She's representing Hartford County or um, Hartford, H-A-R-F-O-R-D County. Uh, that's just northeast of Baltimore. She was stripped of her leadership post in the Maryland House of Delegates after it was found that she had used a slur in a downtown Annapolis bar here recently with one of her compatriots and and it really made no news and and it gets back to about two to three to four pods ago where we were talking about the Northam and Justin Fairfax and blackface and and that issue here is an elected official from the state of Maryland who I believe and and this is up for debate you can wear blackface um, or, or you can actually voice, uh, that dreaded N word. Um, and she used a slur, which I find completely reprehensible mm -hmm. and it made no news. And it's on a five. That's the fifth page of the Annapolis Capitol. That's not the Washington post. That's the Annapolis Capitol. No news. That, that this delegate, this elected official, actually used a slur um, about, and the context of it is that she told one of her fellow Democratic uh, elected officials that, um, that they were knocking on doors in a N-word uh, centric county when they were in Prince George's County trying to win votes. And the fact it's not making news, I can't believe that it's fatigue. Uh, th this woman should never step foot in the state house again. John, I, I hear uh, everything that you're saying. Uh, I, I, I feel your, your passion. Um, I, I too um, have looked at what has gone on recently in Virginia. Um, as we discussed off air, I hadn't even heard about uh, Ms. Lasanti's comments uh, until you brought it up to me. Uh, and I'm someone that actually fancies myself as someone of a, of a news junkie. Um, and, but I'm also not surprised uh, whenever racism raises its, uh, raises its head. But listen, John, definitely uh, appreciate your take on that. I want to get to a couple of things, uh, specifically, gentlemen, and real quick, what is your take on Robert Kraft? Does the NFL suspend him? They have to. It's the third, it's the third strike. You've got the the video gate and then deflate gate and now you've got a guy by the way i love the fact that the only thing people care about now human trafficking is an absolutely terrible thing um and and i think that 
that this entire scenario is, has brought attention to what is an oft um, ignored issue. But the only thing that the news can talk about is the fact that he showed up. Not only did it happen, but it happened on the same day as the AFC Championship game. And then not only did it happen on the same day as the AFC Championship game, but he arrived in a Bentley. And then not only did he arrive in a Bentley, but he was only in there for like 16 minutes. That's the news. You teach it, Bashan. That's the nature of news is that let's not talk about human trafficking. Let's talk about the weirdness of it all, that, that he did this in Florida when the AFC Championship game was in Kansas City. It's ridiculous the, the weird nuances of the story that people glom onto when really they should be talking about, well, it's human trafficking and this is a third strike, so we should probably actually lose his ownership capacity. Chris? I think the story goes on for a while. I do think they're gonna, the NFL is going to have to do something. How strongly they punish him, I actually think will be a function of what else is going on in the league at the, at the time. I hear you guys. I uh, appreciate, appreciate your takes on that. Um, on, a, on a bit of a lighter note, the oldest gentleman uh, that was caught on that list was born in 1934, for those of you keeping score at home. That means FDR was president when he was born. Okay, <laughs> listen, keep, keeping it to sports, and before we uh, wrap this whole thing up, Bryce Harper, quick, where does he go? Chris? I have no idea at this point. I really <laughs> don't. The Phillies, the Dodgers, I, I don't think the Nationals want him. I, I think they've made that clear. I mean, again, we've said this the last two weeks. Boy, what a miscalculation. Yeah. I think yeah. it's Dodgers, but they have five, six, seven, 17 left-handed power hitters now. So they're going to have to get rid of someone. So as an Oriole fan, I'd gladly take Max Muncy from them for a uh, bargain deal uh, for you guys to sign Bryce Harper. But they're not going to sign him to a 10-year deal. The Dodgers are probably going to get him for a four-year deal, but he's going to take it because he wants to play on the West Coast. Okay. Hey, uh, John, you brought up the Oscars. I'd like to just sort of wrap up the Oscars uh, here with a, a special note and give a special shout out to Regina King, Ruth Carter, Mahershala Ali, and my man Spike Lee. There's a lot of people out there that would say this Black History Month left a little bit to be desired given our uh, cycle of news. But what I'd like to do is recognize April Rain, creator of the hashtag OscarsSoWhite. Now this year's Oscars may have certainly seemed more diverse, but if in 2019 we're still experiencing first and Oscar wins for women, people of color, and other marginalized communities, we still have a ways to go if we're going to do the right thing. And that's the double truth, Ruth. Well put. All right. Listen, a great show. Uh, as always, a lot of fun. Uh, look forward to coming back next week. Uh, a few of us are going on travel, so I wish you guys uh, all the best out there and safety on the roads. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us here on Three C's in a Pod. Uh, we always welcome your feedback, so please leave a comment below. And until next week, be good, be safe, and be better. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.